Let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time we have to gather together. God, the freedom that we have to do that. We, want to, we don't want to take that for granted. And God, as we open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would, would open our eyes, our ears, fill us to hear what your word wants to say to us, God. And I pray that it would have profound effects in our life and then ultimately on the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up in Luke chapter four. That's where our kind of core verse for this series is, Luke 4, 16. And then we're gonna go past 16 today to read what happens after this verse. And then we'll go to Matthew 13 uh, towards the end of our time together. But what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is habits, the habits that Jesus had. And this is a great time of the year to talk about habits because we're more likely at the beginning of the year to think about our habits, to think about what it is that we do, how we live, uh, especially physically speaking. But we're saying we want us to develop spiritual habits as well. And we see that Jesus had customs. He had habits. And we've been talking about over the last several weeks what those were. And there's kind of three broad categories that we've kind of arranged them by. And they come out of uh, a guy by the name of Richard Foster who wrote Celebration of Discipline. He talked about having inward uh, spiritual habits, communal habits. And then this week, we're going to talk about outward spiritual habits. And just to recap quickly for you, those in case you weren't here, but inward spiritual disciplines, what we mean when we say that is we're talking about prayer. We're talking about fasting. Fasting. We're talking about reading our Bible. That's why we're doing this 21-day prayer and fasting. We're building into that uh, at the beginning of the year, the habit of these spiritual inward disciplines. Because we're saying, hey, this year, God, we want to put you first. We want to make sure that we are praying, that we are fasting, that we are reading the Bible, that we're developing this habit in our life. And so that's talking primarily about our relationship with God. Then the second habit that we saw Jesus had last week was he went to the synagogue. He had a habit or a custom gathering together with the people of God. And that is a second habit that we need. We need some communal habits, which is great because you're doing that. You're here. And that's fantastic. That's a great process, a great step. I promise if you make a commitment to gather as often as you possibly can with the people of God every Sunday, your 2018 will be different. I promise you. But it goes beyond just gathering together on a Sunday. That's why we have groups. That's why we have teams. And there's a push right now in our church to sign up for a group. If you're not a part of a group, then we also have our care ministry things that I talked about last week, like divorce care, grief share, our recovery ministry, the prodigal child ministry, all that happens up here on Monday nights that's on our website. And so if you want to get information about that as well, those are great opportunities for you to develop the habit around gathering together. And today what we're going to see is the third habit that Jesus had that we're just calling outward spiritual disciplines. And I I mean, I feel this way about every message that I preach, but I just feel like this message this week, I've been so burdened for this one. I couldn't wait to, to preach this one because I think this message, this discipline has the power to transform our life. Like I said, I believe that every week, but I think this one has a particular way to speak to you individually. So let's jump in Luke chapter four, verse 16. It's our core verse again. It says, and he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his what? Custom. Custom. That's where the, the, the idea of the series comes from. Let's try that again. As was his what? Custom. Custom. Thank you. You sound great. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. 
Now that phrase there, he stood up to read, that's the title of my message today. That's the one that we're focusing on when I talk about an outward spiritual discipline. Now this phrase here, he stood up, literally means obviously he rose to his feet. It's to rise up. We've heard that one before, right? But, but we know that, that it means more than just the physical act of standing up. Jesus, it says, as was his custom, went to the synagogue and he stood up to read. What I think is going on here is not just, again, not just the physical act of Jesus standing to his feet, because I think the whole reason why he's standing is what we need to focus on. And and you're going to see that in just a second as we see what he read, what he read from the Old Testament and what it said about him. And so when we talk about outward spiritual disciplines, here's what I'm saying. What are you standing up for? Let me ask it to you like this. What is the purpose of your life? Why do you get out of bed every day? Why do you rise to your feet every day? And what I'm saying to you is this. If you don't have an outward spiritual discipline of rising to your feet for a selected purpose, then you are going to waste your life. And if you don't have the outward spiritual discipline of standing up, and and this is why you're even talking about standing up for ourselves. Again, we, we know that means more than just literally or physically standing to our feet. And so we see this in Jesus. Jesus stood up and he stood up to read. And I want you to see what he read and what that says about him. So look at this in verse 17. It says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, obviously back then they didn't have a printed book like we have. They had scrolls and they had scribes who kept copies of those. All right. So that was the, that was the, their copy machine of the day. I don't know if the scribe's name was, was Rico or not. Right. But it was the dude who made all the copies. So Jesus takes a scroll, unrolls it. And then it says he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written The spirit of the Lord is upon me because, everybody say because, Because. I highlight that on purpose, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now then look at this, verse 20 and 21. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I mean, just picture this. Here's Jesus opening up the scroll, reading this. And then it says, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, you think Jesus stood up for a purpose? Yeah. He didn't just stand up to read scripture in church and then he sat back down. He stood up to read scripture that told the church, told the people, this is why I'm here. This is who I am. And he makes this remarkable statement when he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence, in your hearing. Now he's reading Isaiah 61. 
He reads the first part of Isaiah 61. I would highly recommend you go back and read the whole chapter. It's a great chapter. Jesus is making some remarkable statements here. The first remarkable statement he is making about this, he's he's saying, listen, Isaiah 61 is about me. Isaiah 60, the the guy that Isaiah was talking about, when he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Isaiah wasn't talking about himself. Isaiah was a prophet. And so Isaiah was prophesying about the Messiah. And Jesus is standing up to announce to the world, Isaiah was talking about me. And then he says, why is the spirit of the Lord upon me? I had you say the word because. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That word there, upon, is a preposition of location. It means it's located on. And we know this, and I've already highlighted this. In Luke chapter 4, the Holy Spirit is very prevalent. At the beginning of chapter 4, after Jesus' baptism, it says he was full of the spirit, and the spirit led him to the wilderness. And that's where you see those inward spiritual disciplines. He was fasting, he was praying, he was meditating on the word of God. Then it says he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So he was full of the Spirit, had the power of the Spirit. Now we see this outward discipline. He's saying the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. This is what I want to point out. The whole reason why the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The whole reason why the Holy Spirit saves us is to empower us to do what God made us to do. And so often, so often as Christians, we fail to fully understand this. We think that it was just about saving us from something. Now, I'm not trying to minimize that. Yes, the Holy Spirit, through the finished work of Jesus, does save us from sin, does save us from hell, But so often as church people, we fail to understand that he also saved us to something. Not just from something, to something. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me. See, Christianity is not about just living our life trying not to sin. And so often that's what we've reduced it down to, isn't it? We've just reduced Christianity to, I'm just trying not to sin. So church is here, my group is here to help me not sin. And so we kind of create all these rules. That's why we call it legalism, because it's all about rules and laws. And so you can't do this, you can't dance, you can't smoke, and you for sure can't do it with somebody who does, right? Like, we can't do these things. And so Christianity becomes this kind of list of do's and don'ts. But I want you to understand something. Jesus did not let his life be reduced just to that. Now, did he follow the rules? Absolutely. I mean, he was holy. But you know what Jesus did? Obviously better than anybody. Jesus lived his life on purpose. Jesus knew exactly why he had been created. Now you can step back and say, well, duh, he's Jesus. Like he's God. And so he was there when they made the plan for him 
to come into the world. The Bible tells it for the foundation of the world was ever laid, Christ was already slain. So Jesus knew all this, yeah. But I want you to understand something. The same spirit that, became, that came upon Jesus can come upon you and can give you the same insights that the Father gave Jesus. It's not limited to just Jesus. Let me say it to you like this. The Holy Spirit can come upon you and give you a because too. The Holy Spirit can give you a great because. The Holy Spirit came on me because. See, that's a statement of purpose. See, Jesus more than anybody lived his life out of a deep sense of why he was here. And he didn't let anybody detract from that. He didn't let anybody deter him from that. Whether they liked him or they didn't like him, he was making an announcement at the beginning of his ministry saying, listen, this is why I'm here. The Holy Spirit has come upon me because. And he, he tells them to preach the good news to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to let them free. So Jesus was making a pronouncement of his purpose. And here's what I'm saying to you. The best way for you and I to waste our life is to not have a because of why we live. Do you know your because? You know your purpose? Now, anytime I... I talk about messages like this, it's intended to mess with you. And that's good. And, and we can have a conversation after service. We got response team people, pastors. We can have conversations. But I want you to understand something. Nobody but the Spirit of God can give you that because. We can help you. We can direct you. We can say, yeah, here's, here's some great things to do. But if you came and asked, like, man, I'm, I'm really wrestling with why God made me. I, I feel like he gave me gifts beyond what I'm using. I, I think that he gave me gifts beyond just trying to make money and get a big house and die. I would say, yes, he did. But then I would say, you better ask him why. That's why we pray and fast. Listen. Jesus went away for 40 days praying and fasting. Do you think that solidified his purpose? Yeah, he knew it, but in his flesh, he had to know it. And the Holy Spirit came upon him, empowered him to do what he did. So here's what I'm saying. You and I have access to the same spirit that he had. And now, amazingly, because Jesus did what he did, now the Father sees us as though we are his son. And so often what holds us back from stepping into the purpose by which God created is our own view of ourself. There's no way God could use me. There's no way. I'm, I'm, I'm just a nobody. You know what? They, they did the same thing to Jesus. Look at the next few verses. Verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we have heard you did in Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. What's going on here? The moment Jesus stands up to declare his purpose, 
because the spirit was upon him because the moment that happens, everybody else starts trying to drag him down to his family of origin. Isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, we know Jesus is about 30 years old at this point. So, so they had been with him for 30 years. This is his hometown. Like, hold up. What are you talking about? The Holy Spirit's upon you to, to set the captives free, to pronounce the good news, and, and, and that scripture is about you? What do you mean that scripture is about you? Dude, you're Joseph's boy. I.e., we know you. Isn't that amazing? That the moment you start to try to live out your purpose, everybody else wants to call attention to your past. Who do you think you are? Who do you, who do you think you, what do you mean this is about you? And, and amazingly, I'm just gonna have time to get into it today. Then Jesus says to them about Elijah and Elisha, how they didn't go to the Jewish people at that time because of their unbelief. And then the Bible says that they were enraged at Jesus and they took him to the edge of a cliff to throw him over it. But Jesus is a ninja and it says he, he just escaped. I mean, it's amazing. Those are the things when I meet Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, how did you do that? Like, for real. I want to know. You got this angry mob trying to throw you off a cliff. What did you do? Did you just like cloak and dagger, right? Like, what, what happened? We got all eternity to figure that out, right? But here's what I want to say to you. The moment Jesus tries to live out his purpose, they call attention to his past and then try to afflict pain on him. Why? Hear me. You need to know this. The moment you try to live out your purpose, it will call to attention those that are not living out their purpose. And we will unintentionally, we don't do this intentionally, but we will unintentionally help them to see they're wasting their life and they don't like that pointed out. You see this happen in companies and businesses all the time. If you've got a business that's kind of just been rocking along and kind of doing what they do, and then a new person shows up, and the new person starts challenging the status quo, starts working harder than everybody else, the boss starts praising the new person, everybody else is like, how do we get rid of her? Why? She's making us look bad. She's not only hitting her numbers, she's exceeding her numbers. Does she not know that we don't do that around here? Because if we do that around here, they're going to expect us to do that every month. I.e., they're going to expect us to be the best version of ourselves every month. What a novel thought. You know how often that happens in churches? You got a bunch of church people been around church for a long time. Somebody gets saved. And I don't like this term, but it's, like, it's the Christianese. Like somebody gets on fire. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You know, we talk about the tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit. So it's like, the, no, they just got saved. The Holy Spirit's on them. They're fired up. Maybe that's a better way to say it. They're not on fire, they are fired up. And what begins to happen, the church automatically starts to inoculate themselves to that person. Oh, you, you just wait, you'll, you'll lose that fire pretty soon. I.e., here pretty soon you'll be a boring Christian like me. You see what I'm saying? Instead of celebrating the new birth, Instead of saying, hey, 
You're so passionate. What can you help us see? What, what are you saying that we're not seeing? What are you doing that, that we're not doing? Instead of us staying in this kind of attitude of learning and teachability and saying, you know what? I want to be the best version of myself. What are you seeing in us that ju we're just not living out yet? And we should celebrate that birth. I mean, rightly so. Anytime a baby is born, we throw a party, don't we? We celebrate and we should. Not just when they're born, but at conception, because the Bible makes it incredibly clear that a human is a human at conception, right? Thank God for the March for Life, even though it got no media coverage over the last several days. Thank God that millions of people were marching for the sanctity of human life. And we celebrate that, and we should. But so often in church world, we don't celebrate when a Christian is born. This is why here, every weekend, we, hey, let's celebrate those who trusted Christ today. Why? Because man, they're a child of God now. They were dead, now they're alive. And you know what? We wanna learn from them. We wanna know, hey, what's, going, what's God doing in your life? How can, we, how can you help us? How can we help you? What if that was the attitude of our church where we all celebrated everybody's giftedness? In our prayer and fasting, today's day 14, the prayer is, amazingly, we couldn't have made this up, we're praying for unity in our church, not divisiveness. You know where divisiveness comes from? Jealousy. Envy. And that normally stems from insecurity. So check this. Unity is born out of insecurity. Disunity is born out of insecurity. But unity is born out of security. What if we were all secure in who God made us to be? And we were living out that purpose. Then we would celebrate the purpose that everybody else has. And that they're secure in that. We all have a gift. The Bible talks a lot about the church as the body. You know how weird it would be for my head to always down my feet? Oh, you're down there, man. You stink. You're horrible. Would your body function very well? No. The hand was slapping your face, man, you ugly. People, I mean, we would check somebody in for that. You're crazy. But yeah, that's what happens a lot of times in church world. We got schizophrenic churches where people aren't celebrating everybody's giftedness. Why? It's because they're not living out their own typically. Because see, when you're living in your purpose, your purpose is to free others to live in theirs. That's what Jesus said. My purpose, I've been sent by the Spirit. I've been sent by the Spirit to proclaim to you. I think I totally missed my point, so sorry, pro presenter guys. Let me go back and give you this point, and then we'll move on to Matthew 13. A little bit out of order. We must develop the outward discipline of standing up and living sent. We must develop the outward discipline of standing up and living sent. We see that in Jesus. Now flip over to Matthew 13. I want to show you another story that happened at more than likely a little bit later on in Jesus's ministry. Matthew chapter 13, Matthew records Jesus is going around teaching, again, fulfilling his purpose. 
In Matthew chapter 13, verse 53, Jesus goes back to his hometown, back to the same place, back to the area of Nazareth. And it says this, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Where did he get this? And it's not that they were just so blown away with his giftedness in the sense that they were celebrating it. They were trying to figure out how in the world a dude like this could do what he's doing. Why? Look at the next verse, verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Now it's not Joseph's son. Now it's the carpenter's son. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? Check this, where then did this man get all these things? Now, I wanna point this out. Because not only are they trying to pull him back into his past, they're trying to pull him down into an earthly position. And this is the carpenter's son? Listen, man, you've been building houses. You've been building furniture. I mean, there's a lot of building going on. Hopefully, hopefully it's not another bubble, right? There's a lot of building going on. Just imagine a carpenter, an electrician, a plumber, standing up in service, reading Isaiah 61 and saying, today you've heard this fulfilled, and then going out teaching, and they're saying, hold up, man, you were just pulling wire last week. Who do you think you are? See, they couldn't see past his earthly position. And see, this is what we need to know about the kingdom of God. You do not need an earthly position to have purpose. So often when we ask God to bless us, we are asking God to bless us. And by blessings, we mean give us earthly status. And then when we get earthly status, we'll give you glory. We'll give you credit. And so, so many of us are trying to build our life around this kind of American dream idea where we're trying to get status and then when we get status, we'll tell the world about the God who gave it to us. But I want you to understand something. You don't need position to have purpose. Jesus was a carpenter's son. You say, no, but, but he was the son of God. Guess what? In Christ, so are you. So are you. You, the Bible is scandalous. Did you know that? Like the Bible's ridiculous. Please don't misunderstand me like knocking the Bible. I want you to understand something. The Bible says some ridiculous things like this. You are co-heirs with Christ. That's ridiculous. How in the world did I get that? You know what that means? The Old Testament says, my father owns cattle on a thousand hills. My father owns it all. So what that means is I am now an inheritor to all that my father has. What if I live my life like that? But see, so many of us live our lives defined by our earthly positions, our earthly status, who our father is. Listen, my dad's an air conditioning man. 
Nobody in my family went to college. And here I am, a preacher. You think I'm a preacher because somehow my family? No, we didn't even go to church. And my dad to this day will still tell me, I can't believe my son's a pastor. Because my dad was an alcoholic and an AC man. But you know what? If I let that define me, I will never live into my purpose. I'm not just the son of an AC man. And I'm, listen, I'm proud of my dad. I love my dad. He's the greatest hero in my life outside of my heavenly father. So I'm not ashamed of that by any means. Please don't hear that. But here's what I want you to see. Doesn't matter where you started. Doesn't matter if you're just a carpenter's kid. It doesn't matter what your status in life is. The spirit can give you a great because too. And what I'm saying to you is this, unless you have that, unless you live your life for a bigger purpose and that purpose is by the Holy Spirit to help other people find their purpose in Christ, you're wasting your life. You're wasting it. Listen, I, I want you to hear me. My greatest fear is not death. You wanna know why? Because the Bible says Jesus died and guess what? On the third day, what did he do? Check this, he stood up. He stood up. So why am I afraid of death? This is why, and I gotta be honest with you, sometimes church people, it, it's hard pastoring you because you're like, man, my marriage has died. Guess what? God specializes in resurrection. Man, my purpose has died. I'm, I, I'm too old. I'm too sinful. I'm too big. I'm not smart enough. Whatever it is, you know what I would say? Let all that die and let God resurrect something else. You wanna know why? Because the greatest fear is not death. My greatest fear is standing before God and God saying, you wasted it. You wasted it. So why in the world would I or you let anybody else's opinions define the type of life we live? You wanna know why? That's ridiculous, that's crazy because those people will not be standing next to God with you on that day. Now listen, I'm not saying this is a license to be a jerk, all right? Listen, I want you to hear me because a lot of times when I do messages like this, people are like, that's just the way I am. Well, who you are is a jerk and that's not excusable in the Bible. <laughs> all right, I'm not saying that. It's not a license to just go, I'm living my purpose. No, listen, Jesus didn't sin. This is not a license to live how you want. I'm talking about becoming by the spirit the best version of yourself. Not the lowest, but I want you to understand something. I think the saddest thing is when Christians die with their gifts still in them and not being used for the purpose of God. And what is that great because? To live our life for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. That's why you were born. That's why he made you. 
And he gave you a specific way to do that. And listen, sometimes it means you still are the carpenter's son. Sometimes it means you're still the carpenter. Guess what? That's all right. We need carpenters. We need teachers. We need pilots. We need businesswomen. We need salesmen. We need all those people that are all in those spheres living out their purpose. Why? Because if you can live in those but not be defined by those, then people are going to look at you as, okay, you're weird. What's different about you? You're not so caught up in the rat race that the rest of us are caught up in. Why? Because you know, you know God's given me this just simply as a platform for my purpose. This isn't my purpose. It's just a platform for my purpose. And you don't need a platform like this. God gives you a platform in society. And so what I'm saying to you is this. You don't have to go home and quit your job today. Like, Please don't show up tomorrow. Hundreds of people. We quit. We're here. <laughs> Listen, man, our benevolence is only so much. All right? Like, no, I'm not saying that. What, what I'm saying is this. You can live in it, but not be of it. You ever heard that before? Live in it, but not be of it. Why? Because your ofness is defined elsewhere. And that's what you see with Jesus. Jesus didn't retreat from the culture. He went right into it. But he didn't let the praise of men determine his purpose. Jesus wasn't taking polls. Polls just drive me nuts. Let's take a poll. We'll just do what's right and don't worry about the poll. Sorry, I can get off there. Why? Because you see it in Jesus. They love you one minute, they hate you the next. And if we're doing this for the applause of people, let me just tell you, you will never live out your purpose. It goes on, look at this, verse 57. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do mighty works there, many mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. Listen, I said this a few weeks ago. I'm gonna repeat it again. Our greatest problem is not sin. Our greatest problem is unbelief. We sin because we don't believe. And we don't live out our purpose because we don't believe. So here's what I'm saying to you. You want to have an outward discipline of standing up and living sent? You better have an inward disposition of belief. That you have a core belief that you know that you know, number one, God loves you. And number two, God sent you. If you can have that core of a belief. Listen, man, people come and people go. Again, this is why I said we can't base our life on social standings and social media. God, that's one of the worst things. I was just reading an article, a former Facebook executive last month came out and said how guilty he feels for being a part of creating Facebook because he says these dopamine driven feedback loops are destroying how our society works. He says, whether you know it or not, you're being programmed. And every time you get a like, every time you get a comment, you get a dopamine hit. We know this. And then I was reading the article this week about Instagram, just in case you thought, oh yeah, Facebook's evil, I love Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, they intentionally 
Throttle back your likes so that you'll keep coming back to see how many you have. So let me give you an example. If you had 20 likes, they don't give you all 20 at once. They give you five and then five a few minutes later, then five a few minutes later. Why? Because it conditions you to come back. So we don't even realize that we're being programmed. And you want to know what that stuff does? So often, man, it erodes our belief. You see this in teenagers. More teenagers now struggling with depression and suicide than ever before. Why? Because they're constantly comparing. They don't measure up. And here's what I'm saying to you. You live like that, you'll die. But you live knowing that the father of all creation gave his son for you to get you back and he gave you his spirit to empower you for the purpose in which he sent you man nobody can rob that from you nobody can steal that from you but if you base it on your looks guess what you're going to get old and wrinkly and it's going to fade you base it upon the applause of people guess what they'll like you one and they'll hate you the other But if you live for the audience of your heavenly father, knowing that he loves you and that he sent you, man, if you can develop that discipline, you're unstoppable. And you watch what God does with your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you first and foremost for Christ. God, it still blows me away that now when you see me, you don't see my sin, you see your son. And that's the good news that Jesus talked about. The good news is that he came to offer his perfection in place of our sin. And God, I pray right now for anybody in the house or listening or watching online who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't been saved. They don't understand that they are loved by you. God, I pray right now that you would tell them how you feel about them and that your Holy Spirit would save them. If that's you, nobody looking around or talking, but if you don't believe that Christ died for you, I wanna help you to believe that. It is true. It's not too good. It's true. And if you want to trust Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. If you want to know the Father, be saved. For the first time, it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sins. I give you my life. I ask you to save me, forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that, we wanna know. Again, we wanna celebrate that. It's a new birth, man. We are so thrilled. 
And so if you just prayed to trust Christ, don't be embarrassed, man, this is the greatest day of your life. Would you just simply, again, nobody looking around or talking, would you just simply lift your hand up if you just trusted Christ? Thank you, thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can just simply put your hand down. That's awesome. Then those of us in the house that would say, yeah, I've been saved, but I'm just not living out my purpose. I wanna say to you, seek God. Seek him. Pray fast, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a because. I promise you, he will. He's not trying to hide from you. And then as a church, man, let's celebrate the giftedness of other people. Let's fight for unity because we're secure in who God made us to be. Let's not be the kind of disconnected, discombobulated body where we're fighting about other people's giftedness, but we're celebrating it, saying, wow, look at how good they are. Let's spur one another on to love and good works. That's what we're called to do. Let's have an atmosphere where we celebrate, not criticize. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna have to point out sin at times, of course, but, but the reason why we're pointing it out is not to have a gotcha, but the reason why is because we know that we're not living into our purpose. God, would you help us to create that kind of church? Would your Holy Spirit empower us to be that kind of church where people not only are born again, but they grow and they flourish and they send, that we send out into the world, God, so that we have this discipline of living on purpose. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.